Praise God. We're going to dismiss the blast kids and the blast workers are going to head out. And uh, we're going to continue in worship this morning. I don't know if you were here last week. As they leave, I'm going to kind of go ahead and go. I don't know if you were here this morning or last week when we talked. Um, we've been studying the book of Ephesians for the last few weeks. And we're going to, we're going to be in a few more weeks yet. Um, but last week we talked about, the, uh, we kind of wrapped up on this. And I want to just kind of confess this as we start today um, to you. We wrapped up with this idea that in our believing in the gift of faith, that we've been marked by the Holy Spirit of God, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you were here, you'll recall that I made a little bit of a mess up here with a candle trying to do my very first ever seal of a letter. And I just want to admit something to you because we're going to have to come back to this. But I want you to be praying about who the Holy Spirit of God is. I just want you to be asking the question of God himself. And, and I, know, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you come out of traditions and you're like, man, I'm not sure. But the word of God speaks profoundly about the Holy Spirit and his work among us. And we have misconstrued ideas, and I'll say I do too, about how the Spirit of God works and moves. And sometimes for fear of making a mistake, going too far one way or the other, we choose to ignore it, but it's God. The word is very clear that the Holy Spirit is God. And so I want to remind you as we begin today, I want to remind you the last thing that we read in the book of Ephesians talks about the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, how there's this moment that we believe that Jesus died for our sins. And in that moment, in the believing moment, God seals us as his own. And he sends us heavenward, kind of like a letter. And when we arrive in the kingdom of glory, listen to me this morning, when we show up and meet God face to face, I don't want to say pearly gates, man. What did pearly gates even mean? I mean, when we meet the creator of all, all the universe, there will be a breaking of that seal. There'll be an opening. And the Holy Spirit of God will have delivered us safely into the kingdom. Eternal glory. Not of our own works, lest we should boast, but a gift of God. And so I want to just admit that last week, putting a little wax on a letter doesn't fulfill our, our, you know, it's a, it's a picture, but it's not the whole truth of the Spirit of God. And I don't know that I can contain it, but I want to say that that's, that's just what that was. Because today we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to listen to Paul as he turns the corner here in the opening of his letter to the church in Ephesus. And this becomes the moment, the believing moment, the Holy Spirit sealed moment, the promise of eternity delivered, guaranteed now. And when we get there, I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's not our work. We don't cling desperately to our faith. We continue to give thanks to God for his gift. So that's kind of the backdrop for what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I'm going to do what we always do before we enter into Scripture, and I want to pray. I believe that the Bible is the holy inspired. By the way, inspired means spirit-breathed. 
Word of God. And I don't think it's a magic book. I think it's inspired revelation from God. And therefore, if you want to be inspired to understand it, you have to ask for his help because you can't get there without him. Pray with me. Father, this morning we've come into your house and we've, we've sang your praises. We've come into your house and we've seen your children. I remember the prophets who would say that, you know, we should not neglect those who are in need. And Father, I pray that we honor every person that you put into our life, whether they're in other countries or right in our own home. I pray, Father, that as we enter into your word today, that this Holy Spirit that inspired it would inspire us, would live in us, would shape our minds and our hearts, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear a gospel that is so beautiful, it will change everything. May you be glorified today. May we be fully submitted to you. We confess that we are sinners and we're screwing it up all the time. And therefore, we depend on you to deliver your word today. Pray that this would happen in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So re- I want to read this passage with you, if you agree with me. It's going to be the book of Ephesians, still on page 811, if you use one of our Bibles. If you brought one of your own, you can probably find it. It's one of the letters written to the churches by the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul. And uh, I'm just going to read this with you this morning, 15 through 23. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's the word of the Lord. We have Paul here, and, and he's, he, he turns from this confession of his own faith. So recall that's what he said. We were sent. We, we were the first to fully trust in Jesus for salvation, to imputing that or giving that or proclaiming that upon the saints in Ephesus, saying you also were accepted and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he says this really cool word. He says, it's, it's kind of like therefore, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith and ever since I heard about your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I wonder if, I wonder, church, if we will ever know how we came to faith. 
I mean, when I, I wonder if we'll ever know how many, how many hands, how many hearts, how many minds, how many believers were, were hidden away in the cracks and crevices of our life and praying from a distance. You know, knowing some of you pretty well, I know that there are people in your life and you come and you have a heartache for them. Say, oh, if they would only know Christ, they would be free. If they would only accept the gospel, they would, they would be unbound. If they would only know our shepherd, they would be found. Th- that heart ache, that sense that how do we do this, how can this happen, I, I, I want us to not forget that that was us. That while you and I were dead in our sins, while you and I were running around in our lives acting crazy, and I don't know if you were, I was, there were saints in the peripheral praying that I might be saved. Praying that God might move. Praying that I might not be lost. I wonder if it's the same for you. I don't know what your church background is whenever we get together like this because, you know, it's a little different, not a lot different. I mean, once you're in a church, you see other churches just like you. We went on vacation and went to a church exactly like Family Bible Church, like, you know, 12 states away or whatever. We're in this, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's Family Bible Church in a different state. Uh, they're out there. But, you know, we do things differently. But I, I'll never forget, you know, you can find saints working everywhere. I don't want us to believe for a moment that God is only pouring out his spirit here, that he's only working among us, that he's only using using me or you or the, you know, the, our group to share the gospel. God is so much bigger than we can imagine. He's working in all over the place for his glory at the same time. He, he's just directing and moving among his people. I don't want you to believe that it only happens here. I want, I want eyes to see saints everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, we have a tendency to come out, we're like critical. We're like, oh, there's nobody doing anything right, you know? There's nothing going right in this place. I want you to have eyes to see the saints at work. I remember, I don't know if I told this story to you before, and if you've been here while I told it, I apologize, but I, I have to share this again with you. I, I remember one Sunday, I was going to a church that was much more formal than this. It was a, it was a church where I was told that I might want to find a, uh, um, a more charismatic church, which is funny to me because I didn't know what that meant at the time, you know, um, um, we walked in to the church sanctuary on a Sunday morning, all in our proper dress. We were ready to worship the king, the holy king. We were ready to go. We looked good. Everything, facilities were nice. The greeter was at the door. Everything's going well. And we walked in, and to our dismay, now we had been there that morning already. We had walked in that sanctuary once that morning already, and it was beautiful. And we walked in there, and up and down the aisles, well, it looked like there was crap. That's a terrible word, isn't it? The same church. There was crap in the church. I want to tell you something. It was so looked that way. It, I'm not trying to be crass that nobody wanted to touch it. People were like, what is that? Oh, there's more. Ooh, look at it. It's everywhere. Up and down the rows of pews, up and down the center aisle. So finally somebody, some young man who's not afraid of crap, went up and poked it. You know the people. <laughs> like the duct tape. 
sticky face on there. Boop. They go, no, it's it dissolves in your hand. And of course, the pastor is going, stop, you're making a bigger mess. And we're all playing with it. What is this stuff? You know, it's crazy. It's everywhere. It was disintegrating. It turns out that it was the shoes of a saint. I don't know if you lived in this community long, but there was a man named Don White who lived here. Wow. He inspired me. He was kind of hunched over by the time I met him. He kind of moved slow. But he had a heart that was so big, it was ridiculous. And he was the discerner of the Spirit of God. And what we didn't understand was that Mr. White, who was out of official church leadership, he wasn't on the board anymore, he wasn't doing anything, <laughs> would sneak out of his Sunday school class and he would walk up and down the aisle and pray. And pray. And somehow, between the time we walked in that morning and the time we had walked back in, he had ruined the sanctuary. Because, you know what else? He was kind of a frugal man. And he had shoes that he thought were just fine for him. His wife, Maxine, was embarrassed as all get out. She said, I told him to throw those away years ago. She's kind of hitting him. You know, it's funny to see old people hit each other. I think it's funny to see old people hit each other. <laughs> Love that. 45 years, 50 years, 60 years of marriage, and she's smacking him. I told you. It's like, yes, yes. And I'm thinking, it's God. It's the Spirit of God moving. Question was, who's going to clean up this mess? I wonder, church, do you know that there are people who have been praying for you? I'm sure you have stories like this in your own life, those who came before you and prayed. I hope God has given you eyes to see and ears to hear that you did not discover the gospel on your own in a vacuum, that there were people around you who were heartbroken for your state, your spiritual state, and they dared to pray. Some dared to share. But I am convinced, looking back, that that's the work of God in our lives. And I thank God for it. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard of your great faith in the Lord Jesus and your great love for all the saints, I've never stopped giving thanks. Can we do that? Can we thank God for the people who've been praying? I wonder, do we know the power of prayer in our life? Last uh, week when I did that letter, I stealed it. I was trying to find something cool. I wanted like a cool stamp. They actually sell those things, but of course I'm a procrastinator. Do you know that about me? And so by the time I went on one, I couldn't get it in time. And so I didn't order it because I didn't want to waste money because I'm frugal. Do you know that about me? And so I was looking around and I, couldn't and I didn't want to ruin anything of Chris's because I get in trouble for that kind of stuff. And I looked down at my ring. And do you know last year we had something here at the middle school called the silver ring thing? Do you know that happened right here in this room? Because of Carrie and Corey Adolph, all the churches got together, had all the youth come in. Kids gave their life to Christ in this room. It was crazy looking, the rig they brought in. It was unbelievable, those people. We still pray for them. But what I wasn't prepared for as a parent, as I thought my kids were going to come here and they were going to hear about abstinence and they were going to get a silver ring and they were going to pray that God would keep them pure. I thought that was the goal of the program they were bringing in. You see, I thought that was the purpose. 
Well, last week when I wanted to stamp this, I decided to use my silver ring thing ring, and I kind of put it on there. It didn't work as well as I wanted to, but then it reminded me all week of how God is working among us. Because I don't know if you came to this with your kids, but you know what was wild is they took the parents in another room, and they challenged us, and they said, do you know you can be actively involved in your kid's, spirit, your kid's sexual purity? And I'm like, what? You know, we all want great things for our kids. And so they had these rings, and they made them available to parents to wear. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? And my wife and I bought them. I'm not bragging, church. I'm telling you, I wasn't ready for the way God was moving in my life. And I just bought it. And it's the coolest jewelry. I put it on. But I've prayed. And every time I see the ring, I've prayed. And, you know, we had an opportunity just recently, one of our kids, that we were having this moment where we're trying to explain to them how profoundly concerned we are that they have purity. Not, not so that they're moralistic and that, but that God can give them a full blessing and a husband or a wife that he can fulfill his covenant promises in a marriage if he should have them to be married. And I don't want them to not have that. And what can we do? I wonder. And these people came to town, these 20-year-olds, and they said, you know what you can do? You can pray for your kids. You can pray for their husbands and their wives. Something as simple as prayer, you can do that as well. Paul says, ever since I heard of your faith, ever since I've heard of your love for the saints, I've never stopped praying. I'll share one more thing, and I want to move on. We have a few other verses to get to, but I want, you know, we have a group that comes here at 7 in the morning to load in. I don't get here at 7, I get like at 7.20, you know. That's the way that works for me, but... And we load all this stuff in, and it's a lot of busyness. And he came in. It's kind of cool. It's like a road show. we got a trailer out back. We're rolling gear in and out. Everybody's having fun. The drums are getting set up. It's kind of cool. Sound check. Everything's going on in the sanctuary here. Sanctuary here at Highland Middle School, right? But you know we're stacking chairs, and you know I've had somebody say to me, you know, I pray. I love this time. I love this time. I love preparing for the people of God to come and meet. I, I love to be able to pray that he would move today. I'm not bragging, church. I'm saying this is the work of God among us that he is drawing us toward himself in prayer, that he is compelling us to be more concerned about one another than we are ourselves. He's compelling saints to come and pray. And I wonder if you know you've been prayed for today. So I have a few questions that I wanted to ask because the next thing that Paul says, before he said that, he actually said, ever since I heard about you. And I wonder in your own life, I kind of want to challenge you with this question. Corey made offer earlier. He said, we have a prayer team here who loves to pray. We're not the only ones. We're not the only ones praying, church. But we do pray, and we pray in confidence. And we make this little card available if you need prayer that we would invite you to share with us. But here's the kick. Do you allow others to pray for you? I mean, the opposite side of that is you, you, no one can stop you from praying for them. That's a beautiful gift of God. You can pray for people even if they don't want you to. The Bible says pray for your enemies. You can do that. Just pray for them. We can pray for others, but the question is, in our own lives, do we allow others to pray for us? Do we believe in the power of prayer? Are we willing to be vulnerable enough that we can open ourselves up and say, yes, pray for me? I'm not talking about connection cards here this morning. We do things here 
like family groups where we get together and we, we get together and we eat some food and we hang out together once a week and we open the word of God and we talk about what God is doing and then we pray together. And I wonder, in those places, can you be honest enough to ask for prayer? We all have you know, social media and texting and all that stuff. Do we use those resources to reach out to others in our lives and ask for prayer? Will you pray for me? You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't want you to know my business. Uh, people who are bent toward God, you just say, will you pray? And they'll be like, yes, I'll pray. They're not gossips, they're not slanders, not backbiters. They want God to move in your life. I want to remind you that whenever Paul was writing the church in Ephesus, he wasn't writing to non-believers saying, I'm praying for the non-believing. He was saying, I'm praying for the saints. I'm praying for you. And I wonder, in your own life, do you even allow others to pray? And the follow-up question is, if you are not willing why not? Do you fundamentally believe that it doesn't work? Do you believe that it's your business and no one else's? Do you believe that nobody cares? You have enough problems of your own. I believe a mark of the church is to be a praying church, to be a church that is before God, not on Sunday mornings only, but in their daily lives, to be before his feet praying, what would you have us to do? Praying that he would bless people. I want to uh, ask another question as this. Do you also join in praying for others? This is going to be what Paul says. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. It's a beautiful thing, a prayer of thanksgiving. You can pray that prayer. I can't tell you how many times in my heart I've prayed that prayer. Thank you, God. For people who've come before me, thank you, God, for people who are where they are. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in the lives of others and in my own life. I mean, we can pray that prayer with hardly any effort to say thank you. Thank you, God, for your movement. And he says, remembering you in my prayers, not forgetting. Check it out. In verse 17, I want you to see this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a lot happening there, the glorious Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I, I want to remind you that Paul, in his praying for the church, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to pray a few ways for you. This is, if you want, you know, the first question is, do you join in praying for others, you know? Do you bring it? You know, we had a great men's steak night a few months, maybe a month and a half ago, where we talked about why do we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. You know, the funny thing was we had a bunch of guys together eating steak, and asking the question, why do we say in Jesus' name? And you know who had asked the question? A small child. I think the small child is something like this. Papa, why do we say in Jesus' name? And Papa, in his wisdom, said, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going to find out. The work of the saints. It's a beautiful thing, and we talked about why we invoke Jesus' name in prayer, why when we come before the Heavenly Father, we pray. The half-brother of Jesus, James, reminds us, and he says, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And maybe you're out there, and you're saying, you know why I don't pray? Because I am so screwed up. You have no idea. The righteousness does not come from yourself. It comes from the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God-man who died on the cross, Jesus Christ. 
He is our righteousness. And we come in prayer in his name. That's how we pray for one another. And Paul says, when I pray for you, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and understanding. One of my favorite things we have to do here at Family Bible Church is we have a pretty large group of people who are younger and not sure what they're doing with their life. The economies make it even harder to figure out what they're doing with their life, but it's always been hard. Because the economy wasn't bad whenever I was there, and it was hard then. <laughs> I love that they're asking us to pray for their future. What, questions like this, what would God have me to do? Where would God have me to go? Paul says, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation over you. We, we have people among us who ask for prayers for marriages. What is God doing? What's happening in my life? We have prayer concerns from people who are single asking the question, what is God doing? What does God have planned for my life? Paul says, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and re revelation or understanding in your life. And I want to challenge you to believe that in Christ, in the believing, in the sealing of the Holy Spirit, you can go before the Father and petition on behalf of others. And you can ask, Father God, I don't know the situation exactly, but would you please show them the way forward? Would you please be clear to them? Will you, will you show them your plan? I thank you, Father, for a, a saint who is seeking out your direction first, not their own. We can join that kind of prayer church. I hope you get what I'm saying. You can be part of God's solution for them. But I want to not miss this. It's beautiful. He says, I pray for a spirit of wisdom revelation that you might know him better. The fundamental prayer of Paul is that always you be being drawn closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, more in step with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the prayer that we move together, knowing God more fully. It actually means recognizing God where he's working. That's a good prayer. Father God, will you show my friends where you're already working in their life? You and I can pray like that. The second thing that he, he says here is he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So Paul's praying for this enlightenment, this wisdom, this, this understanding, this seeing with our passions. That's kind of a weird thing to say, the eyes of your heart. Like sometimes we sing worship songs, and I think, this is kind of sappy, right? Like, who makes this stuff up? And I realize, oh, they read scripture, and that's what it says. The eyes of our heart. What? We pray that in the saints, God might unmask the deception and let us see clearly what we have. Paul prays for three things here. He asks that we would know the hope he has called us to, that we would never forget what God has done in our life through Jesus Christ, that we would know the hope, the eternal hope that we have in him. The second thing, look at it, it says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's a beautiful thing. The riches of the inheritance in the saints. That's us, church. That, that's you and me. You know, part of the irony is that so many of us 
believe in the kind of Jesus punch card thing that we're going to get to, you know, heaven and, and it's true, but that we're sitting among believers, that we're indwelling with the Spirit of God, and we have no vision for what He's doing among us. We have no understanding. We're bored with it all. And we pray things like, God, just take me out of here. There's nothing going on. Paul says, may you have eyes to see the glorious inheritance of God in the saints. And the last thing he prays for is we would have eyes to, to see the hope and then to see the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And he says, the incomprehensibly, incomparably great power for those who believe great power. And this, I think, gets to the point of maybe why we don't pray and why we don't ask for prayer. Because Paul says, God, may these saints see the great power that you've given in prayer. May they have a real understanding of how much their lives can be shaped. I think I shared this with you before, too. I apologize for that. I love how God teaches. And uh, I was in a moment with someone who was a new believer. And, and, and they had kind of had one of those crisis moments, you know? Everything's going wrong. And, and, and they were, like, kind of freaking out. And they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And they're like, hey, we can pray. You can pray. Oh, I'll pray. I'll pray. Let's meet again in a month after we all pray. We'll all pray together. We got back together a month later, and this person says to myself and another brother who was there, I'm so mad, I'm so frustrated. And we're like, oh gosh, we've been, you know, we thought, you know, we've been praying for months, it's going to be good. It's, we got to go, you know. Uh, why are you frustrated? Because I've never prayed so much in my life. I've prayed every day, and God isn't doing anything. I went, you prayed every day for a month? Yeah. Have you ever done that in your life? No. Wow. God is working. I'm not saying there's not an answer on the other side, but you got to know God is working. I'm sharing this with you, church, as someone who, who, who didn't believe that God was there. And I go, wow. God, you're working. When Don White went up and down the aisles that morning, I'm sure he was incognito. He was a man on a mission from God. And he didn't know that God was doing something else altogether to reveal his glory, and his truth. We don't know the great power that we have in prayer. I want to uh, just share a scripture with you. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I'm going to read it quickly. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. You ever read the book of Jude? Anybody? A few of you have probably read it. Yeah, there you go. Did you know it's in the Bible? Did you know it's not just a Beatles song? All right. I want to read a little, you can read the book of Jude, uh, Jude before you leave service today. <laughs> you can do Third John and Jude, actually. Okay, this is what the word says. I'm just going to read some verses. I think the power, do we know the power that we have in prayer, church? Listen to me. He says, but you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith, 
Listen now and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. Continuing, verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. 23, snatch others from the fire and save them. And to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing that stained by corrupted flesh. That's crazy. Pray in the power of the Spirit that we might snatch them from flames. That sounds like powerful work. And you go, man, that's too big. That's too big for me, Father. Paul asks, Father God, may they know the incomprehensibly great power that you have given them. That's a prayer that God answers. I want to read one more verse here, and we're going to wrap up. This is what Paul says. If you don't think, I mean, this is great power, that this, that this prayer request that Paul is giving us is for great power, better understanding, understanding what the church is here for, here for, what we're to do. He says this, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not in the present age, but also in the age to come. Here's something, and then he says next that, that everything else is put on his footstool. So I want you to see that, that God's great power did this work, and we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, and we talk about his death on the cross. But here's the thing, thousands of people died on the cross. It was just like a big public spectacle. It was humiliating, embarrassing, and it explains why no one wanted to follow Jesus when he said, take up your cross and follow me. But in this cross that we still have here today, 2,000 years later, it stands here not as a symbol of loss, as a symbol of mockery, of hopelessness. It stands as a testament of God's almighty power. Because what Paul says here is the power that he's asking for the church to have is the same power, like the power, the mighty working that God himself reached through the grave and called his son forth. Power to raise the dead. Wow. Paul says, Father, may they know that I wonder whenever you and I are praying, we're on the outside and we're looking in and we feel like, God, they're so far. They're so lost. Who's going to help them? How's it going to work? If we turn that prayer over, do we know that we are snatching people from flames? Do we know when we pray in faith that we are part of God's resurrection from the dead? The request, the, the goal is to join God in what he is doing, not invent our own show. And this is what Paul is calling the church to. May we join God in praying in the power, the mighty strength,
I told you at the beginning of this, someone is praying for you. I told you that, right? And it's cool. I mean, I want to minimize that you can pray for one another and that God is doing mighty works in your life and the lives of others when you pray, when you get before him and you petition, when you ask and you need and you seek and you, you just dig, you knock, the scripture says, when you get into that place and you're really seeking God's direction. I don't want to minimize any of that work. But I want to share one other verse of scripture. Because this is a promise that right now, no matter where you are, <laughs> and no matter if anyone else in all of creation has been noticing your journey. This is what the word of God says in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read a little more than that. I'm going to, let's read. It says, who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and also interceding. That means praying for you and me. But I want to read a little more context because it sounds like, who is he that condemns Christ Jesus? What does that mean? Listen to me, church. This is what Paul writes in verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is on our side... Who can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, give us everything? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has selected? It is God who justifies. So who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I can guarantee you this morning, if you are here, someone has been praying for you. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says that in God's great power, he reached into the grave, and not only did he raise his son to walk on the earth again, but then he brought his son up. The word says that he sent his spirit down. The word says that he put everything under his headship, and Jesus is now at the Father's right hand, and here's what he's doing, praying for you and for me. Praying for you and for interceding on our behalf. Father, that one's mine. Father, work in this one's life. Father, we're doing these things for your glory. Oh, church, we can join him in that work. I hope you'll believe that with me. Please join me in prayer. Father, this morning, your house is a house of prayer. Your people are a building being built for your glory. And we come first, Father, knowing that you have been interceding on our behalf for what? 2,000? 5,000? Years. Father, that you are working in our life. And we come with thanks for that. But we come also with thanks for the saints who would have come before and, and who would try to be like 
unnoticed among us, praying, God, work in their life. God, open the eyes of their heart. I pray, Father, that today we would take that charge, we would take that, that opportunity to join your work, and that we would not sit back any longer and say, man, that's not for me, that's for somebody holy. Not for me yet, it's for your Son and our Savior, Jesus, and we come in his name, Father. We pray that when we come, we ask it in his name that you would work in our lives. We ask in his name that you work in the lives of those around us. And may we, Lord God, be found first as those who are faithful, not trying to set an example that we aren't willing to first live, but to truly pursue you, to truly respond to your gospel. And in all things, may you be glorified because you are worthy. We pray, Father God, for those that are around us in our life that we feel are so far from you. We pray, Father God, that your spirit would move to draw them near to you. We admit, Father, as parts of our own life that are so far from you. And we pray that as your saints, as those who have been redeemed, that you continue to draw us near to you. We pray, Father God, that you would make us holy and blameless in your sight by the working of your Holy Spirit. And then may we prepare to see what you're doing around us. May we prepare for that day when we will stand and say, Lord, Lord, you are beautiful, you are glorious, and we give you praise and glory today. We thank you for the inspiration of your word. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you together. In everything we do, may you be glorified. And we pray these prayers in the mighty power of the Spirit and in the holy name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.